Hey, Mikey, what's up, buddy? Natter, how are you? Good. What's the latest, my bro? No, man, I just keep seeing, uh, just keep seeing great articles out there. A lot of good press about a lot of different things, and uh, I got some fan mail recently that they would like to know how. If they were to become, let's say, broadcasters or even in everyday life, um, it's kind of a common theme is they specifically asked for you and I advice on how to speak publicly and or communicate publicly at work. As a lot of the employers, as people are going back to work, it's a valuable asset, obviously, to be able to hold a conversation and communicate. And um, I guess we can focus on that a little bit if you want to talk about that and I, I personally hate my own voice, and I know it's a struggle. And so, for people to even be complimentary is kind of is kind of tough. But I think specifically is how how did we uh, so comfortably speak in public and or on a broadcast or in in general in a board meeting and a at work. You know, a lot of our people are servants, and that's fantastic. You know, as we support all our brothers and sisters in the restaurant industry and that's what we are kind of evolved from anyway but maybe how to talk to people how not to talk to people but i think in general i think that seems to be like one of the greatest fears right public speaking isn't that number one as far as uh greatest fears on earth and most human beings anyways so my so my daughter just won a poetry contest and she performed it at Huntington Beach Central Park, and she's 15, right? I mean, this girl literally belted out amazing poetry that she wrote. I don't know where she gets it from, but she is just, I mean, the chick is, you know, mastering algebra two trig as a freshman. She's just turned 15. She's she's in, you know, killing it in Mala Uwin and all her classes. She has a horse that she rides like a master. She plays six instruments. And I realized at one point that either this is spontaneous evolution or there's a possibility that uh, we are individuals, you know, that have been put here and are autonomous beings that have a purpose and they're all disparate. So to say that there's some magic answer to public speaking, I don't know that there is. I do know that some people seem to have the ability to engage themselves in discourse that is beneficial and with confidence that allows people to, you know, understand what is being conveyed, whereas some people clam up, get nervous, and don't have that ability. And I think it really boils down to fear. I think a lot of this has to do with fear and See, I don't have the filter that most people do. I think I have a slight bit of Asperger's syndrome, and that's benefited me on some level. And I don't have the brains of my daughter. What I do have is this conviction. And when you're convicted of something, it gives you the impetus to actually want to convey a message. I think that may have a lot to do with it as well. So it's fear and desire to impart an idea or information. What's the greatest audience you've ever had to speak in front of? Biggest audience. Um, so in Model UN in high school, I spoke at the, I think it was the General Assembly. 
and I think it was about six or eight hundred people. Um, let's see. No, I've done. I'm trying to think of a, a case where I've done more. There's been cases, and I can't. Well, when I was in a band in the '80s, I used to. I was a singer, and you know, the kind of the front man who, who had a great opportunity to express, you know, my narcissism publicly. And so there were gigs where I think we had more than a couple thousand people. So I mean, it wasn't us they were going to see. You know, whether we were opening up for, in one case at UC San Diego, I think we were we opened for Red Hot Chili Peppers and. So oh, that's you know, that's interesting. I, I got, you know, what's that? That's real quick. A little tidbit. You don't need to get into it. What was the name of the band? Squirming Dervishes. Squirming Dervishes. So we'd be able to look that up somehow. Um. Well, I don't know what. I mean, I have some video from the day and some other things, but I, I the internet wasn't around back then, so I doubt there's any you know, residual press or anything. I mean, we make some press that I doubt there's any residual press that can be found online. We were very small. We were, you know, we had one song played on K-Rock called Surf and Destroy. And it was just as one of those local band things. But that was, I'm talking the 80s here. So, I mean, a percentage of our viewers weren't even born when I was in the <laughs> band. No, that's, that's I great. Nice little tidbit. But just as a side note, Anthony Kiedis is probably one of the brightest people I've ever met in my life. The guy is a brain He's incredibly intelligent. So you were able to meet him backstage and you had an actual great met conversation? Twice. I met him twice and he remembered me the second time from the first time and he was just so brilliant, so utterly brilliant. And his words and our exchange was just one of, you know, incredible bonding in response to... You know, if you listen to the lyrics of his songs, you get that he understands there are enigmas, and and these enigmas play a huge role in who we are. And I think that a lot of people don't even see them. And he's one of those people who sees those enigmas and he writes them down. And I read it's like watching a Kubrick film. I don't know if you've watched a lot of Kubrick. Sure. I was a big huge Kubrick fan. And he left so many breadcrumbs in his film that, I mean, he was conveying a message. I doubt he was a good public speaker. In fact, I don't think he was. But his means of conveying his message was in his film. And he did it better than anybody else, by, in my opinion, by far. So, and I could, we could have a whole discussion on his movies and what he was saying and how he hid the data there. And you'll be blown away. That's an area that's really interesting is, is the Kubrick films. Just amazing. So one day we'll have to do that. So not to get too far off track, you were on to something good about having the conviction and public speaking and the impetus to convey. And it, you had mentioned a little bit of fear. What, what physically... Because I know physiologically something happens when people have to get in front of an audience or even if it's your coworkers or in front of people they don't know. And especially during the time of, you know, post-COVID as we're coming out of this thing with a, with a hopeful vaccine and, you know, everything going back to normal. What advice do we have for people? Because apparently that's the, the, the given task of and what employers and people are really kind of looking for are communicators Communicators, yeah, speaking. Adrenaline. I think it's so. Yeah. Biologically, I'm gonna guess adrenaline. 
um, you know, the flight or flight. Uh, as far as what it is exercise-wise that people can seek out to enhance their ability to speak publicly, I think just doing it. And I think really you just have to find opportunities in which to speak, you know, and do so with conviction and not fear. I think people fear that either they're going to mess up in what they say or do, or people are going to perceive them in a way that they will be embarrassed about. And so my, my belief is don't care what people think. I think the, the most liberated people are those that are more concerned with, you know, having true character and believing that they have that and carrying that conviction. Um, then let's say what they fear in speaking publicly that may be construed in some way that they don't want. So let's, let's look at it this way. I know that what I believe in my mind, what I believe in my, my philosophies are right. And I'm not ashamed of them. So I don't have fear of conveying those messages because I know they're right in my mind. And uh, one of the things I've learned in life is there's active communication, right? There's listening and, you know, something I'm not great at. And there's active listening. And so one thing I want to get better at is active listening. And I think becoming a better listener enables people to become better speakers. That's my theory. And there's a lot of reasons for it. So I think, you know, A, feel the conviction of what you're going to say. Know it's true. Okay. So be convicted. Okay. And then fear not what others think. Right. So it boils down to, you know, not being prepared or having the preparation and it's mental. The mental preparation is a being convinced of what you want to say and B not worrying what people think about it. That's it. Agreed. As I crack open this beautiful, hazy IPA, I'm a huge fan of kudos to the Sierra Nevada guys. that I think they finally found something that I like personally, but so it's an actual thing, Nate. It's called glossophobia. I'm reading it right now. What's it called? Glossophobia. What's it called? Gloss. The fear of public speaking. The fear of public speaking. Yeah, very common phobia and one that is believed to affect up to 75 percent of our population. Some individuals may wow. feel a slight nervousness at the very thought of public speaking, while others can experience full-on panic attacks and fear. It's a real thing. I yeah, don't think no, I've completely overcome it, but. Well, I don't think anyone is 100% fearless. And I think if they say they are, they're liars. I think everyone has ambivalence or nervousness when it comes to public speaking on some level. Uh, maybe except Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, let's say full Asperger's is, you know, maybe the one option right? Yeah. Or the lack of filter. So I, I do believe that when it comes down to uh, the medium of communication or public speaking, I don't think it's the be all end all. Some people communicate with their art, with their music, others with, you know, their movies in the case of Kubrick. I don't think it's important that one becomes, 
you know, fearless in public speaking. I think it's more important that people stretch themselves to a level they're comfortable with, right? To a level that, that's not exceeding, you know, a reasonable comfort level. And then, you know, growing from there. Me personally, I was never shy unless, until, I, until I was, well, when I turned eight, I came out of my shell and was no longer a shy little kid for some oddball reason. But uh, that's what happened to me. But otherwise, I was very shy and subdued. And then at some point, I just came out. And I don't know what brought me out. Is it choice, would you say? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, personality and character is just something that is so difficult to understand. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to... You know, I'll give you an example, and I, I hate to use this example, but of course, my brother-in-law killed my sister, as we talked about. And one thing about my brother-in-law is he was insecure deep down, but it manifested as, you know, a superiority complex, right? Or or there was some desire to, to um, one-up everyone around him, right? And so he did that in every possible way. He had dyslexia. So he wasn't great in school, but he was extremely savvy and very smart and very good at business. And for the most part, you know, a good person like most people, he had, he had his good qualities. But the problem was, is that was what, what, what was inside him manifest at some point during the pandemic, the fear and the lack of control that he grew so accustomed to in his life overtook him with something that he couldn't control. And so it was out of his paradigm, and so he lost it, he snapped. And it's a very sad thing that happened, and the fallout is never-ending and constant and within my family and the people who knew him. It's very huge. You know, of course, we all forgive him, and we know that things happen. You know, it's too bad that my sister got taken from seeing her kids get married and their, and their offspring and everything else. But, you know, the fact of the matter is this. Nobody understands personality, and they, they just claim they do. We understand some things. It's like gravity. We can kind of explain what it does, but we don't really understand how it works. It's like the personality, the same thing. You know, we understand what it does, but there's some gap in understanding it. I think speaking publicly is just one of those things. I don't think anyone really will be able to map out entirely what causes it. And it's like trying to understand the life of the person, everything they've experienced, and you know, their you know, the the, the way the neural pathways in their brain flow. It's not it's not something we can grasp. And so I think not fearing public speaking by not doing it is one way of doing it, or attempting it and you know, attempting to convey a message to people with confidence and with conviction is something we can all strive for. And everybody does that on some level. Now, just because there's 10 people in the room or more or three people or whatever it is, doesn't mean that there's any reason to fear it. I think people just have that block. And once they, again, become convicted and really not care what people think, I think they're on their way to being able to speak publicly. And again, there's part of the aspect is, you know, saying, you know, positive things, being a positive person, you know, taking a stance that, you know, sees the bright side of things, whatever it takes. I'm bad at that. I'm a negative person. So 
<laughs> you know, and I, I'm learning, and I'm learning how to be a positive person now in my in my fifties, where you know I should have done this years ago, right? So, what do you think physiologically? I, I, we, go ahead. You know, talk about that. I, was there a, a moment you can think of where you had to give a speech in front of a class or a group? Do you remember the feeling? Did you experience any of that in your very first kind of real big speaking engagement? I would have to say a play when I was in third grade. And of course I was nervous, you know, and it was one of those things that, you know, I didn't want to do. Acting was not something I wanted to do, you know, and I ended up doing a play for extra credit in high school. And uh, I think for me, I have convictions that are deep. And so I think really, part of who I am is conveying those convictions, right? And so I don't know that there's room to be afraid. You know, some people are very passive and they just view things, you know, all things with a grain of salt. And they don't necessarily convict themselves of anything. And that's an easy way to live, right? And what need do they have to speak publicly or what opportunity is given them to speak publicly? So, I mean, look at a lawyer in a courtroom, right? The lawyer may have a jury of what, you know, 12 people. There may be 100 or so in the courtroom as witnesses or, or you know, if they are there to witness the trial and a judge and maybe a couple bailiffs. But their job is to be extremely compelling. So I don't think you're going to find a lawyer, at least a trial lawyer, with a fear of public speaking because they're convicted or they have a motivation to win their case. Um, in my case, it's, you know, conveying my beliefs and thoughts about things, whether it's, you know, all the inefficiencies we live under that could change or it's uh, the environment that, again, could benefit from greater efficiencies in the way we live. You know, to, to whatever, you know, I deem is important. You know, if it's a pastor in the church or you know, a rabbi in a synagogue it's versus you know, people who don't have much to say. So I think that it's a combination of things. But if someone is actually worried about not being a public speaker or they have a need to for their, their career, you know, they have to figure out what it is they're going to convey and not worry about what they'll say. That's it. I agree. Focus on the message. I think all the physiological stuff you know by now, the breathing helps. Everything kind of just know your audience helps, obviously. And I think you addressed it come from a place of generosity. And uh, obviously, if you know your audience, it's going to probably come from a place of love, especially nowadays. I think people are wanting to be very generous. I don't think people are... uh, out to get you, so to speak, and you know, start nitpicking the way you're, you're speaking. I think, I think as a speaker, you notice it more than anyone else would, right? They they want to make sure you're engaging, but they don't necessarily, you know, need your nervousness to be a distraction. Right. I think you. I think you said it all. Excellent. I think that the tolerance. I think one of the things our society is headed towards the collective consciousness is towards acceptance and acknowledgement of you know everyone 
And I think that, you know, in some ways it's extremely good, in other ways it's not so good. But in the ways that it is good benefits, you know, public speaking. I think people are becoming more tolerant, right? I think that people are more open to, you know, the differences we share and so or the differences we have and you know we can collectively you know accept one another to the extent that we need to and that the to the extent that it doesn't harm society and be happier people you know what is it that would here's my question to someone who's afraid of public speaking what is it that you are so fearful of try to identify what that is write it down and then just really analyze it and maybe you'll come to the decision that what your fear is trivial right what it is that's making you ambivalent to speak is something that is so inert and so unimportant so insignificant you know no one's going to hate you it's very unlikely that they will because of something you say they may disagree or they may you know they may take you know issue with it or wonder how you could think that way but it's you know it's hard to make someone hate you for for what you say it really is think about it and if you and if that person and if you're going to say something that the person that results in the person disliking you or thinking you're a fool or whatever it is how important is it that you gain that person's admiration that's the question you have to ask yourself are you looking for their admiration exactly I, I think writing down is just so hard for some people, but getting it down on paper will help you kind of get that stuff concrete in your brain. And then, I'll, you know, we yeah. the basics, you know, just right. I can tell you from my background, I, you know, obviously breathing, practicing in front of a mirror, that's important. But to me, trying to find that friend, you know, reach out run it by them you know if you have to do a phone call even or a zoom or whatever just hey i need to run this by you here's what i'm thinking of saying and rehearsing and you know leaning on people that'll uh nobody should be judging you but a little less judgmental as far as kind of your appearance or what what have you but kind of try to pick the energy of whatever you're trying to say and make sure that message is of generosity and collaboration and coming from the right place um your audience will listen not because they have to but because they want to so um i think the you other know, something i'm learning oh i'm sorry go ahead yeah the, i think the other point is a lot of people coming out of covid i think as human beings we're starting to realize now more than ever we need people leaders managers and and people that are going to be in the public realm whether it's just you know, in the food service industry, retail, construction, engineering, right? Health services, public school system, you name it, right? Emergency service. Our community are going to need people that can adapt and collaborate together and be able to communicate. So there is something to be said, I think, with uh, some of the, uh, the younger kids coming out of college with these amazing degrees, but very, very poor social skills. Maybe they can write a great article, but they can't convey it you know, personally, verbally, and, uh, you know, from that human connection type of way that a lot of companies are looking for. So I think there's something to be said about that, to be cognizant of, and not, not to say that nobody can't work at it, but if this is the, whatever the chosen profession it is, you do, everything's about communication and collaboration. That's my thoughts as far as, uh, how things are going to move forward. What do you think, Nate? I think you nailed it. 
I really do. I think what you just said was really insightful. And I think that's a good positive message to convey to your listeners that, you know, in effect, we are dependent upon each other as groups and we need to communicate better. That means active listening. You know, I'm in therapy for the trauma of my um, loss of my sister and some other things. You know, I've had multiple people shot and killed in my family, not just my sister. And she's not the first sister that I've lost. So it's been a rough, I've had a lot of trauma in my life. And so finally, it just, after this last incident with my sister, I was just really in a bad place of depression. And I've gone into therapy in the last two months because I had to. And this guy is brilliant. And one of the things he's teaching me, and I think it's really important and I want to spread it on, is that we don't need to be in a position to judge others. We can listen to, so if you disagree with someone or if someone angers you or if something conflicts with you, you know, he's teaching me how to understand that the, the message should be, I understand how that makes you feel or I understand you think that way or I understand that and it makes you angry. You know, instead of getting into a yelling match if someone yells at you, you know, understand that they're angry. Understand why, right? And anything else is really, avoid judgment. Instead, you know, in karate, he was telling me they have a saying, you know, you know to the effect of, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, don't teach, you're, you're, you're not... Don't try to teach someone who's not a student, right? So I think that's an important lesson to take. I think that there's no reason in in discourse to to try to get the upper hand or to judge someone or to try to correct someone or fix someone. I think just acknowledging that we are different and by an example, if, if there's something you'd like to convey, you can convey it in your actions and, as an example. And I think that's something I've been horrible at in my, life, in my life. I'm so glad I got into therapy because learning this has been so important to me, right? Learning that being able to actively listen and not judge and learn and, and, and instead of judge, evaluate. Distinguish what those two terms mean. Judging versus evaluation. And so evaluating is teaching yourself, right? You know, judging is creating conflict. So it is my view that we can all change. It's all part of exercise, like you mentioned, having the Zoom call or whatever practice you want to pursue. It's all part of it. I think that was a great bit of advice you gave. Is set up a Zoom call or run up by someone and just practice. If that's your goal, practice it, right? Get over those issues. Don't fear messing up or fear saying the wrong thing. Just be prepared. If preparation is important and you can't do ad hoc, you know, on the fly, you know, discussions with people on, on, a, on a podcast, don't do it if that's not what you want to do. If, if, if you know, what's the term in theater, you, you know, when you do something on the fly, there's a... Uh, impromptu. 
yeah, impromptu, or or there's there's another term too for the act, the uh, the actual verb of the act. I can't think of it. But anyways, so the improv spontaneity. That, yeah, you you got it. So the the point is is that choose the method of communication that you feel comfortable with, and those that you don't, practice slowly. Don't you don't need to panic yourself or do something beyond what you're comfortable with. Um, and then to stretch your comfort zone is something that makes you grow. So work on slightly stretching that zone without turning it into a, a fear factor, right? I agree. And then practice makes perfect, in my opinion. You have to take your lumps. You have to go through those horrible speeches where you choke and freeze up. We've all been through it. It's kind of a rite of passage and you'll get through it because we've all been through the exact same thing. A lot of us are, I always like to say, just at different places in that yellow brick road, but we'll all get there, right? So it's nothing new. And at this point, uh, there's so much out there to support and learn from. I think it's really hard to fail. And if you do, that's okay because you get back up and then you learn from that. And then, then you, there's a ton of people that will support you on that failure because they've done it exactly the same way and they did exactly the same thing you did so i think people just got to take their lumps and get over it um as far as the practice part of it if that's what they do intend to do and then just let it flow you know to me it's if they're resilient enough to do it and if that's something they want to do whether it's podcasting or journalism or getting out there and just spreading the word or being ahead of a company more power to you but if you have that kind of resilience i think Along the way, hopefully, you've built a, a ton of authenticity because I think that's what people look for as well. And if your message is very sincere, you know, we we at this point, just being genuine isn't good enough anymore to me. Coming out of COVID, we're all genuine. We've all went through the same thing. But your audience has to believe you. And uh, I think that comes from authenticity and just kind of uh, the energy you bring into the room and to your voice and, and whatever your message is. And I can't say enough, just come from a place of generosity. And I think it, you went over the audience. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think attempting to gain the upper hand or thinking you are lower, are you're on par with everybody. Everyone's on par, right? Everyone has something to add. Everyone has their qualities. Everyone has their abilities. You know, we have, you know, a disparate... You know, one thing that we have in our society is a disparity in, obviously, in, you know, socioeconomic status. And I'm hoping that one of the positives of this new trend in culture, I hope one thing that may ensue is a desire for people to reach out to others in different strata. And I think that's one thing that maybe kind of a a block to people who speak publicly is they feel like they're speaking above their ilk, sort of speak, and or or people are gonna judge them. Again, those things are part of the things that you have to get over on an emotional level. And then from the standpoint of practical application, is like you said, practice. If you don't speak well just on the fly then don't do it. You know, have have the preparation, memorize the speech, do the work. You know, that's 
that, you know, understand what you're going to say, you know, plan out what you're going to say, whatever it is, so you don't find yourself caught. You know, think of possible questions that you may be answered, both open-ended and, and, and closed. And, you know, decide what it is you're going to say, be honest. And I think you'll be fine. I, I don't think there's any real, other than maybe some type of, you know, pathology or whatever they call it, associated with social fear, whether it's agoraphobia or, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever the phobia is, and I don't really know the phobia as well, but I just know that there are phobias and they're for everything. I mean, my daughter has a phobia that, you know, she has a fear of forever, the concept of forever makes her panic and we discovered this when she was in her you know higher single digits we talked about it her and i and it's a real phenomenon she has a real fear of that concept and i don't really understand it but it's something that exists so i don't pretend to understand those for fearful public speaking but again practice where you can don't stretch yourself to a point that'll make you crack how's that sure that sounds great so would you say, in closing, practice, continue to do what you want, and what about the social media aspect of everything? Doesn't that kind of help? Like, everybody's on TikTok now, right? They're, they're always speaking, so if that's what you're trying to do, then be competitive. Well, What's the competitive edge? If anything, I'm not really, I am more concerned that what is happening in this phenomenon with TikTok and, you know, social media and everything else, my concern is that people are being forced into an electronic narcissism. And I got caught up into that. And, you know, a lot of people you notice will post all their vacations or their possessions or their what they're doing or you know they're kind of elevating themselves in some public way for whatever it is they think they need and people get caught up in that you know and i think that you know some one thing i've noticed about certain people and i don't want to you know sound sexist or sound intolerant or whatever labels will be put on me but i've noticed there's a lot of females not so many males i don't know what causes this, but it's true. A lot of females who really have to have their pictures updated and validated physically. And TikTok is a great example of that. And and doing things that demonstrate their physicality or their beauty or with they have this really really un you know unnerving desire to be accepted and wanted and I really believe this is a phenomenon. My daughter is nothing like that because and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I constantly want hugs and love her and constantly validating her because I'm so unbelievably proud of her because she's such an evolutionary leap that I don't even believe in evolution. And the only reason why I would, you know, the way, the way I, I believe in some aspects of it, but I don't believe in the be all end all of evolution. And in her case, it's funny because she's like some spontaneous, the amazingly advanced girl. But what I'm trying to make is that my attention to her, I think, has precluded her need to want to validate herself publicly. And my concern is that there's too many 
females out there, and again, I'm not trying to be sexist, you know, this, I'm sure this goes on with men, not to the extent that I've seen with women, and again, this is anecdotal, is they weren't validated by someone in their life to the point where they feel like they need to validate themselves with how they look, and they go to ridiculous extents, and it's almost like being socialized into the general culture that you, you as a girl need to be, you know, be, need to have your, you know, this challenge or whatever it happens to be going through TikTok at the time or twerking or whatever it is they're doing. I think it's really unnerving and I don't think it's healthy. What do you think about that? Now that, there's a form of communication. No, that's a good that that's a good point. Um I've seen a mixed bag. I you know, I'm, I know a lot of different voices in that realm and some will argue, well what if that's what I want to do? What if I am an influencer and this is how I'm gonna make my money? I think there's that's a part of it too is well, if they're all, if everyone's seeking to be a sage and an influencer, you know, then there's this, then that's becoming in itself, you know, a, a goal within the masses that is based on a narcissistic, you know, egomaniacal view of themselves, and that's not particularly and that's healthy. The, yeah, either, and that's right? the AI that kind of can. Think about what it is, right? Hopefully people get quote-unquote more woke, but think about the power of Instagram, even LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, right? TikTok, all these things kind of converging into one, and you're telling me that with AI and the fact that I talk about you know, needing headphones and the next thing you know I see an actual commercial for headphones within two minutes, I don't think that's coincidence anymore, you know? Um, but look at the power they can do by shifting or attempting to shift your judgment or perception of something. So, like you well, talked about before, was a f- very few, yeah. or it's almost really difficult for them to control millions. But what if you have the millions start to try to, you know, go after each other by just competing all the time? And it, the the riskier, you know, like to your point, the photos get riskier and braver and bolder and more. You know, it's all about content and trying to drive that and be more interesting than the other person. Yeah, I think it's harmful. So I think I think if we allow, not allow, but if we end up having a bunch of people in our society exploit the base character of the human experience as a means of generating revenue then I think it degenerates society as a whole. I mean, I don't necessarily believe that influencers are all attractive or, you know, high, highly charismatic individuals. Yeah, there are some influencers that are probably, you know, heavy set or not, you know, not heavy makeup users or not out to just look good on film or whatever. I think there's influencers out there that are, you know, meeting, you know, meeting others. And I think there's positive things that ensue from this. But again, I think that on the other side of the coin of this original thing is there's communication for the sake of communication or, or for the sake of popularity and not for the sake of expressing ideas. And that's where I think TikTok is. And when you, when you turn all of discourse into entertainment, and stimulation, then it lacks, you know, people lack the ability to really analyze it. 
right? You don't look at, you're not watching comedy with great analytical thought. You you want, it's time for you to get a good laugh and you need to relax and unwind and watch a comedian. But if you view everything that way, then you're not able to have any understanding or real convictions at some point because you don't take anything seriously enough. I think that's where maybe some of the, the damage may come. So we have two extremes. We have people who are afraid to speak publicly and then we have people who are self-empowered to speak publicly with no message, right? Yeah. So it goes both ways. So I think really, you know, if you're going to seek to be a better public speaker or if you're, or you're interested in not being fearful of speaking, I think the best, the best favor you can do yourself is to plan to practice like you said and to be confident in what you say and the confidence you get is when you have real conviction so and again I, I think we pretty much nailed it down I think we've said enough alrighty well that's it for this one then alright well you know what it was a good one and I enjoyed having this conversation yeah we can get more down and dirty into the other details but it's a start it's a, it's a good thing to talk about. Happy to talk more about speaking and stuff. I don't know if any of this helps, but, um, you know, I think the important part is to have that conversation, like Nate said in review, conviction, um, the impetus to convey whatever it is, you know, trying to understand what that fear is and then hopefully mastering it. Um, and for me, it's, you know, you, you know, actively listening Nate talked about that but for me is authenticity and having the resilience to do the right thing and then uh, another good point was to listen actively and not focus more on judging but more evaluating so evaluate versus evaluate versus judge yeah right you're not you're not your job is not to fix or teach people unless they ask you to your job is to be an example. If what you if what you look, we are what we do. We are our fruit. Anyone can say anything anytime, but few people can actually act in the way that is true to what they pretend to claim or actually claim. So, really, this whole conversation boils down to one thing: is honesty and conviction. And the, the are those these two concepts, you know, being honest and having a conviction, and that's what it boils down to, really. And I don't think people, and if the fear is hurting other people's feelings, you know, because what you're going to say may be hurtful, maybe you need to look at what you're saying. Maybe there's no reason to be hurtful. Maybe there's no reason to be judgmental. You know, there's a many reasons that can cause fear of speaking, but. The ones that I think your listeners were talking about is just a flat-out fear of public speaking, and I think we addressed it. And you know what? I honestly think that if we did do the Kubrick thing, if we started going through Kubrick films one by one, maybe watched them and then discussed them, I think a lot of you know the psychology, you know, especially at Clockwork Orange, but a lot of the psychology associated with people can be explored on a level that uh, that may assist them in understanding the motivations people have. Maybe we should go that route at some point. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm good with. Through Kubrick films, huh? You believe that? Yeah, I think maybe we just each 
podcast we do, we start with, you know, whatever, you know, um, Dr. Strangelove or whatever we want to do and just start and just talk about the film, you know, what it was done, what we think we see in it, what, what, what's, what's great about it, what's not so great about it, what he was trying to convey, what breadcrumbs he left, you know, how these movies tie together, which they do. And he seems to have a common theme in his movies we could talk about. But he was a visionary. And if you, you know, I'll give you a teaser here. If you look at the movie's eyes wide shut, which he wasn't able to cut because he died four months before mysteriously and he had final cut, but they didn't like his final cut. But that's another story. But if you look at the math in that film and you see some of the dialogue around it, it's almost like he was telling us, you know, what the future held. I don't want to get into any detail there, but it's a nice teaser. People want to hear that. Interesting. Well, all right, man. I think that's a good uh, almost 45-minute segment. I hope that helps. Um, And that's all our intentions were. I mean, there was a request out there, so whatever we can do. We probably went off subject a little bit, but that's what we do. Uh, Until next time. (laughs) Thanks, Nate. Well, thanks a bunch for having me, and we'll have have a great uh, evening. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Later. Bye. Bye.